welcome to The Breakfast Show. You are listening right across Australia on 87.6, 87.8 or 88 on the Faith FM network. And you are joined by Danuta and we have our fabulous co-host back, Lawson. Lawson, welcome back. And hey, how are you? Good morning. Oh, yeah, I'm, post-exams. I am how are you? Well, well not post-exams. Post I, I didn't mean, mean the plural. I have an exam tomorrow at 9am. It's my last exam for Woo-hoo. the year. But I had an exam yesterday. It was it was a two hour and ten minute exam. It was handwritten as well, and and my university has very much embraced handwritten exams in the mm. last couple of years, particularly because of the advent of like cheating. Yeah, <laughs> well, mean, if you're on the uh, net, you can just look up anything yeah, and right, then just put the answers up, in. Chat GPT, all that kind of stuff. So so they've really embraced handwritten exams. To my chagrin, I I very much dislike writing. It's like literally exams is like one of maybe two or three times a year that I use a pen. Like I, I am, I never ever write anything by hand, but Mm. anyways, yeah, I did this exam yesterday. It was easy as that's so good. Wait, is it cause you were well prepared or do you feel that it was done easier? I'm going to be honest. It's not because I was well prepared. In (laughs) fact, I was kind of laughing over the fact of, of my lack of preparation. I'm like, Ooh, but then I was thinking, I'm like, no, I feel like, okay, I, I felt like I have it, had everything down, but then I was like, ah, maybe not, maybe not, ah, oh, see how I go. But then, you know, so the, the, the lectures often give hints about what's on the exam. You know, it would be like the last class, the second last class, and they'll start off this, you know, the, the class, and they'll be like, okay, this is being recorded, so you can go back to this, this is what's going to be on the exam, right? This is what they're yeah, saying. Yeah, they give they give a general thing, don't they? And then you've right. got to kind of go and search yourself. I felt pretty confident given the hints, but yeah, I got in there and I was like, oh, we are chilling. I almost laughed. I almost so laughed cool. at like how easy it was. And I was like, wow, what a, what a day. So dude, I, I'm chilling. I hope that everyone else had great exams yesterday and there's going to be students having exams today and tomorrow and for the rest of the week. And coming up on our show today, we have our interview with Dr. Ron Neller from Creation Ministries, looking at the story of evidence. In our news, we're looking at religious vilification and groundbreaking research. And in our Bible study, Time Encounter with God Time, we're looking at Mission to My Neighbor, Jesus's Method of Response. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. We're excited. We're back as a team, full team, back on deck again today. Mm. So it has come time for our first quiz question, please. Uh, Lawson. Okay, what famous thing rested on top of Mount Ararat? What famous thing rested on top of Mount Ararat? If you know the answer to that one, hey, 0491-064-669 is the number to text. And if you text that number with the correct answer, mate, mate, you are going to be blessed. Not only will you just have the pride of having answers maybe potentially correct, uh, but also you'll go into the draw for our amazing prizes this week. We have an awesome Bible. It is an It Is Written Everyday Hardcover Bible, a beautiful Bible here. Oh, and it's like white and gold, which is like, I think just like white and gold is like one of the best color combos that there is, like just so aesthetically pleasing, as well as we've got a book here by Norman Gully, Satan's Trojan Horse, God's End Time Victory. Mm, so, man, these are, these are things you absolutely want. Firstly, the Bible, the Word of God, a beautiful Bible, maybe for you or for a friend. 
Hey, 0491-064-669 is that number, as well as Satan's Trojan Horse, God's End Time Victory. It gives you some more information about that throughout the day and throughout the week. But again, that question was, what famous thing rested on top of Mount Ararat? If you know the answer, 0491-064-669. And the clue is, it's a fairly well-known story. Yep. And it's one of the things that kind of is the most common story for little children to oh, learn. Hey. It, wildly, I think. It, oddly, <laughs> you know, this, this. Oh, I can't give too much away. Okay, final clue. My dad has uh, something similar to this. He really he he owns something similar to the thing that rested on top of Mount Ararat. Yeah, what do you mean? I'm trying to think, like, how you'll need to explain that afterwards when we're giving oh, yeah, the answers. Okay. Sure, I sure, think, sure. Okay. I think, hey. All right, we're going to Moonta, South Australia today. Have you heard of Moonta? No. Where, where's that? Okay. You're out. It you're out. is in South Australia. <laughs> and, okay, yep. I gather so, this much. how do I know this? Because when I was a teenager, we used to travel up there all the time. My oh, uncle okay. used to actually have a shack up there. My auntie and uncle used to have a shack right there near the beach. So it mm. is right on the beach. It's part of the okay. York Peninsula of in South oh, Australia. Awesome. It is about 165, 170 kilometres out of out of Adelaide, so you kind of go up mm. up and around the coast a little bit. And it's a beautiful spot. I'd be interested to go back there someday and actually just see how much it's actually grown now because back then it was a really small town. Mm. And catch this, I actually got some really good old Bible type of books in an op shop there, like really hard cover and heavy kind of books that I've still got in my shelf Today, mm. that I actually look into every now and then. Oh, but I used to awesome. have this beautiful coffee shop that you'd go, and it is actually well known for the Cornish people went and settled there. Now, here's, there's another link here, because I went to Cornwall, uh, lived in Cornwall of for a course. while in the UK. Yeah. And one of the things I absolutely loved was Cornish pasties. So Cornish mm. pasties is what Moon oh, is actually yeah, known I know, for. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, That's awesome. aren't they just so yum? Yeah. So I would, yeah, I, I, um, I, I'm sure I put on some weight. I can't remember, but I think I would have because <laughs> I was almost having Cornish pasties every day. I loved them so much. So anyway, big shout out to those in Moonta, South Australia on 87.6 FM. Tell us what you love about Moonta. What's actually happening there these days? Um, and, you know, yeah, whether you've travelled through there, whether maybe you do have a holiday home yeah. like we used to have. What? Or if you like Cornish pasties if- as well. I wonder if people from Moonta, because he said there's lots of people, you know, Cornish people who have settled there. You Maybe you wouldn't be able to tell because you're from that area, but as an Australian from New South Wales, we can definitely tell that South Australians have like an English accent. Oh, yeah. Oh, look, they, you know, they do. Okay, they okay. do. Like most of them that I've met, they like, they speak like they're, they're straight out of, out of Cornwall. Like. Well, well, you know, maybe look, when I came back from the UK, I had people for years and even recently, probably a year or so ago, somebody said, are you English or are you a Kiwi? Yeah. Um, every now and then, you know, just a bit of my accent from when I was in the UK yeah. comes through. I, actually I, lived I in- think you're more assimilated now. Like you're, um, you've got a pretty standard accent now, but most people I meet from, South Australia, they, they yeah, they talk. Uh, well, absolutely. Here's the interesting thing: when I moved back in the early two thousand years, in two thousand, in early two thousand to New South Wales, mm. my girlfriend, who's like you know an adopted sister, I kind of call her. In fact, I messaged her, uh, FaceTimed her on the weekend even oh, in the UK. So she said to me, like within about two or three months of me moving to New South Wales, she actually noticed a change in my accent mm-hmm. from the South Australian to. 
to the New South Wales one. Yeah, she's yeah, not, yeah. it's a lot broader. I'm just like, no way. She's like, yeah, yeah, I can pick up the difference. So yeah. there you go. We do have <laughs> slight accents, you know, <laughs> and that twang, the Aussie twang that people talk about. For sure. I so noticed her after living in the UK for two years. And I just went like, okay, we do have an accent. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, hey, some good news. Uh, we like good news here, of course. So... Two professors, Professor, let me just find their names again, Richard Scolia and Georgina Long have actually been named Australians of, uh, well, nominated for Australians of the Year. That actually gets, um, um, the award goes, of course, on January 25. Um, so there's other people from other states and, and, uh, with, around Australia that have also been nominated. But here's the interesting thing. These, they're the pair of scientists who've actually done some really good brown, grey, brown, Groundbreaking, groundbreaking research uh, when it comes to melanoma. So here's the interesting thing. Professor Richard Scolia, uh, so both of them are actually um, AOs. So the AO stands for, let me just get that, um, Order uh, Officer of Order of Australia. So in June 2021, Dr. Richard Scolia was actually appointed Officer of Order of Australia for his distinguished service in medicine, particularly when, when it comes to the areas of skin cancer and mm. more specifically the area of melanoma. Um, and not only just nationally within Australia, but also internationally. Um, and he actually has received a range of different rewards including in 2020 he received the New South Wales Premier's Award for Outstanding Cancer Research of the Year and many other areas as well. Interestingly too, he actually... Um, provides consultation and, you know, he has, um, people contacting him from around Australia and internationally as well. Mm. Um, when there's difficult, um, you know, people have difficult diagnosis when it comes to the pigmented lesions, you know, and they're difficult ones when it comes to the cancer. Mm. And he actually receives more than 2000 cases a year for, for, you know, to give an opinion in those areas because he is a leading specialist in so many areas. He's also, um, uh, basically includes a co-authoring about 800 peer-reviewed publications and books um, mm. and a range of things like that. So, yeah, in the journals of on clinical oncology, National Cancer Institute and Cancer Discovery and a whole range of other different journals, which, of course, medical medicos um, look into those very much when they look at the latest research. So he's a really well-known man. He's also an expert member of the World Health Organization, and so, yeah, he's been leading this research recently together with Professor, uh, with Professor, uh, let me get her name again, Georgina Long. Mm. And the interesting thing is, here's the interesting thing is that he's been doing so much in that area, but he, earlier this year, he was actually diagnosed with grade four brain cancer himself. Oof. Catch that. Incredible, isn't it? And so here's they actually chose to publicly actually um, document, um, you know, the experimental treatment that he was actually receiving. Um, and it's actually great, uh, really advanced their understanding overall when it comes to the issues of brain cancer as well, um, given that his area has been skin cancer and melanoma. But they've actually ad advanced things also in the area of um, brain cancer with that as well. And so, yeah, I mean, both of them advocate for people to be safe in the 
sun to prevent melanomas. Um, so just fascinating stuff. We need to be listening in, in, of course, on January 25, who actually receives the award. You know, my mind goes to the fact that Jesus himself experienced um, what we as humanity have experienced. Mm. When I think of him, unfortunately, this professor, unfortunately being well-known, um, being very knowledgeable, being very understanding um, in every way um, and making a difference in the world, you know, Australia and worldwide. The thing is that basically he experienced um, something he never felt, you know, he probably never thought would experience, but Jesus himself also came down and experienced what humanity experienced. Um, the great thing is that our Jesus did not sin. He was perfect, but he was tempted um, in all ways as we were, and that's why he understands us so intimately. And, of course, he, um, the, his death on the cross and our choice to respond to him and be saved is our hope um, and, and um, cure for sin and, of course, then for us to have eternal life in every way. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We're excited that we are having another day here with you, with our fantastic listeners. Text us in. We've got heaps of texts coming in in responses to our quiz questions. But mm. text us in. What are you excited about today? What are you planning for today and for this week coming up? What is our next quiz question, please, Lawson? Hey, next quiz question is simply this. What two domestic animals represents the saved and the lost people of earth whom Jesus will separate at the final judgment? Mm-hmm. 0491-064-669. Again, that question. What two domestic animals represents the saved and the lost people of earth whom Jesus will separate at the final judgment? Judgment 0491-064-669, of course. The prizes for this week, the It Is Written Everyday Bible, hardcover edition, as well as Satan's Trojan Horse, God's End Time Victory by Norman Gully. We want to give both of these things to you for free so that you can read the Bible, you can get some perspective on today's you know, world events and how they relate to the Bible and ultimately see Jesus clearly despite, mm. you know, what's happening in the world. And I think that there's, there's lots of things happening in the world in which you look at a situation like that and say, man, I don't know if I can see Jesus in this, uh, but God is surely doing a work. And I mean, the Bible will absolutely tell you about about that and so will like I love this I love the title of this book Satan's Trojan Horse yeah yeah God's End Time Victory <laughs> yeah yeah he makes all he works it all g- things together for good absolutely and right on that front page it gives that whole contrast um, yeah. doesn't it and that Jesus is the victory um, you know yeah wins the victory which absolutely. is a fabulous and, fabulous and, exciting thing and Jesus thing. has been doing that forever like, forever and, and I think you know the, I guess the climax and the peak of that is that you know the symbol for Christianity is the crucifixion Fix. Yep. Like one of the most Satan inspired evil torture, you know, instruments in the whole world. God used it to save humanity. Mm. So, hey, 0491 Tell us what those domestic animals are that represent the saved and the lost. Today in the news, uh, there has been a bill introduced uh, that regards religious vilification laws. Mm. Now, you might be listening to this, you're like, vilification, what is that? Religious vilification. Now, these laws have existed in other senses in regards to sex, in regards to sexual orientation, identity, uh, race, these kinds of things. But now it has branched out 
to religion as well. Now, this comes in the midst of basically for the last, I would say, over five years, there has been a push from the religious community for some kind of anti-discrimination religious protection bill in terms Mm. of work. Uh, But this is what the Labor government have introduced in New South Wales is these it's like, okay, you wanted this kind of bill. Okay, this is this is what we've got for you, Mm. this anti-vilification bill. Now, what is vilification? That's exactly it. What's the, what is that? So, and like, yeah. So vilification is defined as abusively disparaging speech or writing. Okay. Mm. That's what vilification is. So if I say something or I write something that is abusively disparaging. Now, what is the penalty or the maximum penalty for writing something that is abusively disparaging? It is $100,000. Wow, that's massive, isn't it? That is huge. That is absolutely huge. And the question that comes to my mind, though, too, uh, how subjective is that, you know, interpretation then of somebody? Like, you know, if you actually attack, you know, if I feel attacked about, you know, my religion, my my beliefs, you know, um, at what point is, you know, where and how is that? That's so subjective of the degree that I'm then impacted by that. And no, and the other thing is the question is like, when and where does it stop? Yeah. So this is the, the interesting thing. Like, I, I, I love the questions that you're asking. And these are the questions that are immediately raised by myself. Mm. It's like, what, what constitutes as abuse? What constitutes that's as right. slander? What constitutes as valid criticism yeah. as well? How do you make those distinctions? And Chris Minns, the, the Premier of New South Wales, talking about this bill. He says, you know, that uh, ultimately abusing people on religious grounds threatens the thriving, tolerant, multi-religious and multi-ethnic heart of New South Wales. Uh, he further would say, we must all champion community harmony and togetherness and choose peace and solidarity over hatred and division. These are sentiments that I wholeheartedly agree with. Mm. But I have to say, I wholeheartedly disagree with this bill. Mm. I think it I think it serves absolutely no purpose and the reason is because I don't care what people say about me as a Christian. In fact, Jesus's instruction to me as a Christian is that you should bless people who spitefully use you and persecute you and and say bad things about you. He says, "Oh man, you should love these people." He says, "Love your enemies." That's in Matthew, right. doesn't he? It's just really clear. Now, you might be a long-time listener of the show this morning of Faith of Family. It's like, "Oh, but Lawson, you talk about these issues of religious discrimination, and persecution all the time." And I'm talking about situations usually where it's where the rubber meets the road of like a person, you know, being fired from their job, losing their livelihood. This is the kind of situation and circumstances that I care about for Christians of like, if you can't have a livelihood because you're a Christian, now that's a problem. That's real persecution. Slandering me because I'm a Christian or saying, oh, I don't like you because you're a Christian. I couldn't care less. Like, I just really don't care. Okay, obviously, I'm a person with feelings, and maybe it's not the best feeling, but do I need $100,000 in compensation because someone says something mean about me because I'm a Christian? No, man. Like, it happens all the time to Christians and Muslims and Jews. Like, and this is the kind of difficulty we're in at the moment, particularly because of, you know, pro-Israel versus pro-Palestine. Like, there are all kinds of things being said. There are very valid criticisms of both of these people groups. There are also maybe some people who take it 
a bit too far and who are intolerant. But that's the thing. It's like the line becomes so blurry. And if the legislation is just like, oh, do you feel attacked because of what someone said about you? Mm. Sue them and take them to court yeah. and get $100,000 yeah. out of them. Yeah, and so, so that, you know, arises at the fact, you know, how do you determine that somebody's doing it for the sake of having the money? Yeah, do you know that, what I mean? Like, right. you know, if I want $100,000, how could I do that? But the thing is here, we believe, of course, in religious freedom. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I should say, I believe in religious freedom, that people mm-hmm. should have the choice of what they actually believe in. Um, but the thing is, you know, you're right when you're saying about Jesus. Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was scorned. He was spat out in every kind of way. And so here's the thing that, you know, when I, I know when I've found that I've been challenged in a you know, different way about my beliefs or something like that, what it's done is actually brought me to my knees and actually made me appreciate and, and understand and, uh, you know, appreciate, I should say, what Jesus went through. Mm-hmm. That, and so that draws me even closer to him, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. And again, I want to just give some clear definitions here. The penalty of the law here isn't a fine. It says here, if a complaint is substantiated, a tribunal may order an apology or damages of up to $100,000. Okay. So this is, say, you say something mean about me. You say, Lawson, I don't care about your God and I hate you because you're a Christian. You would never say that to Duda, but let's say you say that about me. Uh, and then if we go before a tribunal and the tribunal tribunal says that those claims are substantiated like that they they are abusive and they are terrible you have to give me a hundred thousand up to a hundred thousand dollars um and an apology and whatnot and again like uh, i i feel like okay th- this this is my some of my conspiracy theories about this law firstly it's it doesn't actually solve the problem of religious persecution no. because the main thing that we have been asking for and fighting for as Christians is in the workspace. Like this is the thing we don't yep. want Christians losing their livelihood because of their religion. I don't care what someone says about me. I don't care what someone writes about me. It's about work. Like this this has been the main thing to protect Christian workers mm. from from you know losing their livelihood. Okay, the secondarily, it's like okay, so this law doesn't apply to that. It's just overriding and all these things. So ultimately, and then it goes before a tribunal. So on one hand, it's like oh, could it be subjective and people can just take advantage of this law to extort money out of people? But the other side of it is they've they haven't solved the work you know space yeah, at all. They haven't solved that. They've kicked that problem down the road. If you go before one of these tribunals and they just say, that's not really abuse, Mm. and then nothing happens, Mm. well, then that's it. Mm. So then, actually, you've created a piece of legislation that either awards people $100,000 for vilification, which I think is just ridiculous anyway, or does nothing and solves no problems. And so I think that this is a clear attempt of trying to appease but i i really believe this doesn't solve anything i think that this is definitely a misstep by the new south wales government and yeah yeah, let us know what you think 0491-064-669 you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm positively different it has come time for our next quiz question before our great interview that is coming up today. Please take it away, Lawson. Our next quiz question is simply this. What insects are mentioned in the book of James as destroyers of clothing? Oh, no. watch out. Hey, don't hang up your line with now, uh, with these things about. That's right. So they still do do that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. That's watch out. I mean, I, I, I... Oh, in fact... There was one of these, I gotta be really careful not to say the name, but there was one of these 
in my room recently. I don't know if oh, it, it snuck under the door or something <laughs> in my room. It was massive. Like okay. it, was, it would have been the size of like the palm of my hand. And it was flying around, like bouncing off the fan, and it was. Oh, All right, so you've just given a clue. I, 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 look, I'm giving you guys so. clues, but it's because look, I I just want you guys to get these prizes. That's They're right. amazing. Again, that question was: <laughs> What insects are mentioned in the book of James as destroyers of clothing? If you know the answer to this one, zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Of course, you'll go into the draw to win the It Is Written Everyday Bible and Satan's Trojan Horse, God's End Time Victory. Again, that number, zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. And it has come time for us to have our interview with Dr. Ron Neller from Creation Ministries. Hello, Ron, are you there? Uh, yes, I am. Good morning, Lawson. Good morning, Danuta. Hello. Yeah, good morning. Good to have you back on the show again. We're excited that you're on with us, and I'm sure our listeners are too. Thank you. Yeah. What's been happening in the space of Creation Ministries? Um, of course, it's a non-profit organisation. Can you just give us like a real short snippet before you go into your segment of what you're covering today? Just short snippet for those that may not have actually heard any of your interviews before. Just tell them about Creation Ministries, please. Uh, well, Creation Ministries, first of all, is a group of scientists worldwide who uh, are all Christians and believe in creation. Our science has pointed to that, and that's what we do. So I've been doing a lot of talks lately, I must admit, through northern New South Wales and elsewhere. And my background in all of that is actually earth sciences and particularly uh, focusing on flooding and so on. So I'll speak often on that as I travel across Australia, and, uh, and we write all that up as well. Uh, on our website, you'll find about 15,000 articles that you can all copy and read and enjoy. So that's what we do. That's loads of articles too. So, I mean, obviously <laughs> all pointing and proving this, the, the stuff that of um, creation, of course, and in your case with the flood as well. Mm. So, yes, very mm. much. So where are we going today? I know, and my understanding is it's about story of evidence uh, that you'll be covering along those lines. Well, it was the flood evidence itself um, that I as a essentially a non-Christian, mm. uh, was brought to Christ. Yeah, in, my, wow. in my studies as I travelled the world, I kept seeing patterns and evidence, and uh, ultimately that led me to the to the final point of going, uh, okay, I better, better remap this and better rethink these paradigms that we're taught and, and teach as well. So, and that's, uh, that's amazing. I mean, so you've obviously come from this background in the sciences, you know, this background of, of education academics, and that that has been the step observing the evidence of the flood that has enabled you to then become a follower of Jesus, which I, I think is the best outcome. How did that process take place you know, from that non-Christian background to that, that step of saying, okay, now I, I identify as a Christian and this is the life that I, I want to live? Uh, good question there, Lawson. Um, first of all, I was taught at, at a young age to always look for um, things that are outside the paradigm. That's what science should be. We should be looking for the unusual, mm -hmm. uh, unexpected, not not following a particular paradigm and thinking mm -hmm. a set way and locked into place. I was then, uh, that was reinforced then as I travelled the world as an academic, I sought to uh, spend time in other countries and other environments. So I worked in uh, the Amazon, in Peru. Uh, I worked in Finland. I worked in, mm -hmm. I lived in China for 10 years. Um working in the Cook Islands, Libya, South Africa, all over the place, I was looking at landscapes. And what I saw in landscapes and evidence of floods was a 
different, you could call it a map or a pattern or a linking of evidence than what I was taught sure. that no such flood had occurred. Mm. And uh, so it was, it was actually looking at a whole range of uh, what we'd call landform data or sediment data or monitoring mm. of floods. All of those evidences kept pointing back to a common catastrophic event. Mm. So tell us and, a little so tell us a little bit about those differences that you're talking about as well as the evidence um that, that you're finding. Well the um when, when you when you do traditional science you tend to do a case by case study. Mm. So what I was doing was looking at it at a more global level. And uh it's uh, you're looking at patterns in but for example when you look at patterns of when you look at the earth as a whole, one thing that stuns you is that the planet is incredibly uh, covered in plateaus. Mm. Those are incredibly depth, deep uh, sedimentary layers at times, many kilometres deep, and yet they occupy, or 75% of the planet is sedimentary. Now, we don't find that on other planets. Um, those sediments are essentially flood sediments. Um, and uh, to have plateaus that, you know, originally were argued would not last more than 2 million years, to have them now dated at 500 million years and they're still flat and occupying 40% of the planet or 60% of Africa it's a bit of a shock when you see that, and you go, "Well, how come everything is still so flat mm-hmm. in a plateau when we've had hundreds of millions of years of erosion and uh, sediment removal and so on?" So you get those sort of uh, features there, but then when you look more closely at the sediment, you get a real bit of a shock in in that as well. We used to think that each of those layers we see, you know, if you go down to any any even road cutting and you see those layers, mm. um, they can be horizontal or they could be sort of uh, curving slightly. We would say each of those layers was laid down by a different event, a different flood. We now know that, no, that's not the case. A, a single flood or even a coastal erosion will lay down a layer after layer in one event. Mm-hmm. And uh, that caught me off guard. Then you also, you should see between, if they are different, different layers from different events and done over a long period of time, you should see what we call bioturbation, which is evidence of previous plant root growth or, you know, worms, you know, they're, they're, they're digging and they're you know, turning the soil over everything. But layer to layer, we consistently find no evidence whatsoever. Now, we mm. do know that those organisms will create disturbances within hours. Mm. So the whole idea that these things were laid down slowly over time uh, today is very challenging to accept that. Mm. There should have been biological evidence. Um, there should have been a lot of other evidence as well. We just don't see it. Mm. So you have been travelling around at this point and taking into account, again, as you were saying, going case by case, but seeing globally that, oh, wait, when we when we you know observe all of these different areas and whatnot, it it just does not seem as though all of these layers were set down in this model that you know geology has put forth of millions and millions of years. Now you've observed this and you've witnessed this. What was your initial reaction to observing this kind of of phenomenon that that is before you? Well, I was challenged, of course. Um, what I started to do was then move more into a catastrophic way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And that's now accepted in universities. It's it's a really a good excuse. If you if you find evidence that doesn't match your uniform processes, you say, well, it must have been a local catastrophe. Uh-huh. Um, so now that both arguments are used, but when I when I saw the extent of that and the similarity between 
all the different case studies. I think, hang on, are these all different catastrophic events or are they all <laughs> yeah. one event? Mm. And so you start to see too much similarity between them. Um, and in fact, one, I'm writing an article at the moment on another feature called Water Gaps, where a river shows absolute contempt of a mountain range. It just flows through it mm. without any, it should have gone around it, but it didn't. And I looked at nine different case studies, uh, and they came up with nine different solutions mm. as to how they could return. True. Nine. <laughs> That's a lot <laughs> of. <laughs> it's simply their way of looking at it in that context, in that locality, in their way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And so I, I did a study of uh, in Central Australia of a lot of water gaps in the Fink River and Elroy Creek west of Alice Springs. And that that river flows through a totally different, many, many water gaps, and they're all different. So you've got to look then when you're dealing with one river with a common cause. You can't look at every little incident along that river as a different case. Mm. And so I began to see these patterns worldwide, whether it was water gaps, sedimentary layers, even even fossils. You 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 see patterns that normally aren't identifiable and certainly were not identifiable in the early days before we had, say, uh, Landsat and satellite imagery and other, you know, computer models that could link things together. So, uh, yeah, it was that – it was seeing that pattern turned me from a an occasional catastrophist to a whole catastrophist and then mm. I went, hmm, well, all that all the evidence points to flood. All the sediment is flood sediment. All the erosion is flood erosion. Mm. So therefore wow. was there a catastrophic global flood? Yeah, I think what's so interesting about that is that you again as a geologist have been brought up in this in a school of which would you know say, okay, this is the uniform model that we use, which is millions and millions of years. And you, and, and then again, you're saying, okay, then all of these local catastrophes, you've actually seen that and observed that and said, well, this actually suggests a different uniform model. And the one that you're adhering to now, again, of one global flood is more, is more uniform. Like, I, I think what I'm trying to say and what I'm trying to wrap my head around here is that the evidence suggests and, and the, 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 the account of the biblical flood actually has a, model of uniformity that is more consistent with the evidence that we see. Mm. Is that is that what you're trying to say? Is that what that's, you observe? That's a, that's a very good way of saying it, Lawson. I'm, I, I think that's a very good way of saying, it. yes, I saw consistency. Yeah. Mm. And, and across the globe, I saw uniform patterns. Mm. And that's, that's also then mapped by other people, whether they're biological or um, stratigraphical and so on. They see uniform patterns um, as well. So it's very compelling evidence these days that uh, – you know, from from an academic point of view, should not be ignored. Mm, absolutely, and I think that that's it's fantastic news for us as Christians because mm. when we when we end up and, and and often these conversations happen with people who aren't from those backgrounds. It's very rare. It's actually it's funny. The most challenge that I get on topics of like ah, oh, you know, geo- geological uniformity and whatnot is from from people who aren't scientists. They've heard something or they've seen something on YouTube, or whatever. They're like, hey, I saw this, and this doesn't line up with what the Bible says and you have those conversations but from your scientific you know background and opinion it's just like oh wait this is clear that it's going in a different direction i think that's fantastic for christians to know that there are scientific educated and informed opinions coming from a very scientific and educated background that are clearly showing not only suggesting but showing that 
the biblical account is true. And obviously you've seen this and I'd love to know what was like the, the intricacies of your story in terms of you've got, you were challenged by that, but then saying like, I want to make Jesus my Lord and savior. I want to become a follower of him. How did that happen? Oh, that's a humorous story. That one, that was uh, an atheist brought me to Christ. Well, okay. Uh, all right. Tell us, tell us. <laughs> we, have a, we have a couple of minutes. Let us know what, what happened there. Well, I was very resistant. I did go to churches around the world, um, mainly to uh, remain connected with the people I was working with and so on. Sure. And, and so on. Um, so the seed was planted. Um, but I, I was resistant because my upbringing was rather uh, difficult, let's put it that way, with a lot of alcoholism in the family and mm-hmm. so on. Sure. So I was not really hearing of a loving father. I didn't really want to know of one. Um, but as in my final years in university, this is 30 years after I started my research, Mm. Uh, and a scientist who was a biologist challenged me because I thought there might be a God mm. after all of this. And uh, uh, this lady challenged me a lot, and I won't go into the details, but one day she said, well, you know, take me to your church. She thought I was a Christian because I said there there, there must be a God. Mm. And I tried to put that off, of course, week after week, but eventually I was I had to take it to a church. And so an atheist dragged an agnostic, I was an agnostic by then, mm-hmm. an atheist dragged an agnostic into a church, and on that day, uh, we don't remember the message, but we both gave our lives to Christ. Wow. Wow, that's powerful. <laughs> that's and so, so awesome. a, a year and a half later, I married her. Wow, <laughs> that's absolutely. Oh, kicking, kicking Win-win in every way, win-win in every way. And, like, uh, what a story. Wow, that is, that's <laughs> incredible. Super. Oh, it, it just shows you that God really loves us and, and is very patient. Yeah, use whatever opportunity comes up. Wow. Yeah, that's powerful. And now you're leading others. So I just I'm interested, Ron. In our last um, couple of minutes we've got left, um, apart from that fabulous story you just shared there too. Um, you know, how are you finding? Like, do you get um, people contacting you, letting you know that they have actually through reading your articles or looking at research or being challenged about some of the things they're reading? Um, that they're coming to the Lord? Like, how, how does that look for it? Uh, well, it works across all of creation ministries. We get we get letters and emails like this regularly, even from prisons. Yeah, um, right. People get a hold of our materials or they listen to us. I've travelled around Australia at times. I've had people come running up to me and, Ron, Ron, I heard you on radio nice. two years ago. You know, it changed the way I was doing things and what I believed in. So mm. you get these sort of uh, things. So it's very important. At all times, you know what, what what you both are doing, sharing this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this this is these are incredible mechanisms by which we can yeah. touch hearts and grow hearts, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so yes, we get it all the time. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really exciting, and we we're just grateful for your ministries um, um, and, and your team worldwide who are doing such a fabulous job. And we want to wash, wish you and your team all the absolute very best. And yeah, we just always, as we say to our listeners, challenge them to give their heart to Jesus, much like your amazing story. You know, an atheist led an agnostic into <laughs> to the church, and you gave your hearts to the Lord. So God bless you with and all got the. Married. That's, yeah, that's yeah. Well, what a resolution. It. That's a continued thing all the way through. So God bless you with what you're doing. Thank you so much, Ron. We're really grateful and we look forward to our next time with you. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.